Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to our latest edition of March Madness 365. On this podcast, I'll be joined by Purdue head coach Matt Painter, Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard, and Texas Tech head coach Chris Beard, fresh off the Red Raiders win over Kansas, the first ever in the program's history at Fog Allen. So Texas Tech is a great story this season in the sport where if the Red Raiders can continue on this path, it really ends up delivering a new face, a fresh face to the national scene. They've shown that the Big 12 race is wide open, believe it or not, as Kansas tries to win their 14th straight regular season title in the Big 12. Uh, By the way, the Big 12 also has the best player in the country in Trey Young of Oklahoma. So I don't think there's a bad team in the league. Now, Purdue is in the chase for the Big Ten title with Michigan State. Boilermakers could make a case for a top two seed, believe it or not, if they keep this up. And Seton Hall has had quite a transformation under Willard. The Pirates are now a major force in the Big East. Uh, This was a tough sell in Newark, and now the Pirates have something going for them. They're a hot team in a market that craves good, hard-nosed basketball. Nationally, Notre Dame got some tough news uh, when Bonzi Colson went down for the season with a broken foot. He's the preseason ACC Player of the Year. He was having a great senior season. A super young man who's been a model college basketball student. Look, I I love what Mike Bray is doing. He's not pressuring Colson in any way. He wants Bonzi to be ready for your NBA draft auditions. You know, Bonzi Colson is undersized for his position and will have to be ready to prove himself again. If Colson is fully cleared, he will play in the ACC tournament. But if not, he's had a tremendous career for the Irish and for Bray. The Irish have had to reinvent themselves before with injuries under Bray, and they could do it again and look pretty good in a sound win over NC State, a victory that actually gave Mike Bray the most wins in Notre Dame history in passing Digger Phelps. Look, Bray gets it and is one of the best fits, I think, at any school in the country. The conference season has started and restarted in some cases, like the Big Ten and a little bit the ACC. But think about this. Duke and North Carolina have a loss already in the ACC. Villanova already has a loss in the Big East. Kansas has one in the Big 12. Arizona and Arizona State lived up to the hype in their first meeting in the Pac-12. And the Wildcats won, giving them the early edge. Kentucky has reasserted itself as the team to beat in the SEC with a recent slide by Texas A&M. Trey Young, as I mentioned, he's a double-double machine, but that's in scoring an assist at Oklahoma, and he's the front-runner for Player of the Year as a freshman, which would potentially give them another Player of the Year candidate out of the Big 12. We've seen multiple lately with Buddy Heald at Oklahoma, Kevin Durant at Texas. you got to go back. Michael Beasley, Kansas State. Frank Mason at Kansas. So there's been plenty of high, high level player of the year candidates that have come through the big 12. Marcus Howard of Marquette scored 52 points in a win over Providence. He's averaging 20 a game. His brother, Jordan Howard is averaging 23 at central Arkansas and check out on NCAA.com. Had a great chance to talk to both brothers through Skype interviews and really impressed with both young men. And as always, check out our weekly features on NCAA.com, like the Power 36 and Weekly Honors, the Daily Starting Five, and more. So let's get to our interviews. And we're going to start first with Purdue's Matt Painter. 
And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Purdue head coach Matt Painter. And the Boilermakers started the Big Ten 2-0 way back in early December uh, as the Big Ten gets to restart here again. And, Matt, this is going to be the new normal. Uh, early December, Big Ten games, especially with going to 20 games, you want the students in there, you want to wrap it around the Big Ten championship game. How do you feel about the way this is going to be a part of your schedule going forward? I think it's going to be... You know, a good thing. I think the more we can play games um, that mean something, whether they're you know great non-conference games or great conference games, I think that's going to help us. I think it's going to help us. Obviously, we're not going to do it in November. Um, you know, you play, I think, more exempt tournaments in November. We do a lot of different things because our league has the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We have the GABA games then at Purdue and in, in the state of Indiana. We have a great thing where we, you know, we play and alternate playing Notre Dame and Butler in Indianapolis. So you're locking in, you know, some more games by adding two games and playing two more conference games. You know, it's not football. You know, I think when football moves and they talk about playing and playing more conference games or doing things, I think the the injury, you know, bug gets in there and rightfully so. You know, I, I think that's the one thing in football that just jumps out is like, you know, you don't want guys to get hurt in spring football. You don't want guys to get hurt in some non-conference games that maybe aren't as meaningful, but it's such a accepted thing in that sport where in our sport it's like you know whether you play the best team in the country or the worst team in the country there's no statistical data in terms of injury it's just why not make this better why not make our product better why not make our conference better and so you know i'm i'm obviously one of the coaches that are in favor of this i think it's a, a thing i think the trap we get in andy is it gets away from the norm and anytime you get away from the norm in any business that's that's happened for a long time they're you know, the question gets asked a lot, but in reality, like, what's the difference? I mean, who, who really cares at the end of the day if we're making it more exciting for the fans, if we're making it better for our conference and you're playing more quality people? I think that's the push. Um, you don't like it as a coach at times because we've all started, you know, I was this is my 25th year coaching. You start by thinking wins. You know, you think, okay, I got to get to 20 wins. And, and 25 years ago, that was it. If you're a high major school, you get to 20 wins, you're getting in just the way it is. But now, obviously, a little bit more sophisticated setup in terms of trying to get in the NCAA tournament and trying to get a better seed, you need to play more quality people. And even if you lose a couple of those games, it's been proven through the numbers that as long as you keep playing quality people, as long as you keep having some level of success right there, you're going to put yourself in a better spot. But to be 2-0, and and this is the thing I think that, uh, and I've had a lot of discussions with you know, coaches in the Big Ten about this, to have that sort of in your back pocket, in right? Three weeks that go before you restart the league, and then there were three teams that started zero and two. How much did right. that put you at ease, though, knowing you had that sort of in the bank? You got two in the, you know, one home, one right. road on the shelf. But I'll no get back different. to that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no different. If we played one game on December thirtieth and one game on January third, and then you played your next two games after that, say on January eighth and January twelfth, it's no different. It's just a longer wait. You know what I mean? Like you have that weight, like you feel good about it. The thing we feel fortunate about is in both games that we played that we won, it could have went either way. We had a significant lead about a minute to go against Maryland, and they, they, they put on an unbelievable run, and they have a shot to tie the game late. And then Northwestern, it was back and forth. That game could have went either way. You know, and we made some plays down the stretch. They made some plays down the stretch. It was neither one of the teams were stopping each other. They just, you know, we were able to get one stop there at the end. But the, that, that's the fortunate piece for us is that, you know, we won some close games. And now 
you wait for three weeks to get to conference. The thing about waiting is it's not like you're waiting and not playing games. If you were right, waiting, right, not right. Playing games, you know what I mean? Yes. You're, you're moving, you're moving on and you're playing teams and you're trying to win, you're trying to improve and you throw finals in there. So, that, you know, you have that week of finals, which is, which is good. And so, I think that's the one thing, but there's no doubt, like no matter what, when you start off your league and you can have some wins, the thing you feel bad for is if you look at the, the level of those two games in terms of who had to play teams that were picked, you know, closer to the top, you know, we had two teams that were NCAA tournament teams last year. So we're two and oh, but we also, if somebody would have got that, that draw of Maryland Northwestern and then went oh and two, they're like, now hold on here. You know, we get these two teams they are NCAA tournament teams. I think it's just, you know, we're fortunate that we have an older team. We have an experienced team. We've won on the road before, and I think that really helped us. Take me back, if you can, to that morning of playing Arizona on Friday, November 24th. You're 0-2. <laughs> Big expectations with this group. Um, right, and now right. suddenly, bam, you know, an overtime loss to Tennessee. You got to turn around. Western Kentucky's jacked to play you guys. You're in the Bahamas. Right. You're, you're both 0-2 in a tournament. And now, obviously, everything's going well now for both of you. But what was it like that morning as you're prepping for that game, desperately not wanting to go over down in the Bahamas? Yeah, no question. And I, I think trying to get things corrected on our end was more important. You know, we lost those two games, and I'm to blame more than anybody. We, we shot the ball too. I didn't have our guys understanding in terms of just, you know, better shot selection, you know, you know working the defense and making them break down. And we, we, we shot the ball too quick. We turned the ball over. We didn't get rebounds. I thought Tennessee, I thought Coach Barnes' team was more prepared than our team. And that's on me. You know, we, we, we just, we didn't play, a, we didn't embrace the physicality of the game. I thought Tennessee just took it to us. I thought Western Kentucky just outplayed us. I thought Western Kentucky, like when you go back and you dissect things and, you know, you, you always look at things that beat yourself. You're like, you know, hey, we've beat ourselves. I, I thought they were better than we were. They, they just they played better than we were. They made they made more plays than we did. They played more together than we did, and uh, you, you have to give them credit. And so we learned some hard lessons there. Sometimes you can have some losses and some tough stretches um, that is really beneficial for you. And I think that was beneficial for us to learn those things and not try to, you know, take a step backwards and go back there. But being able to, our whole thing was playing Western Kentucky and winning that game so we could play Arizona. You know, we really, going in the tournament, you want to play Villanova, you want to play Arizona, you want to see how you stack up against two great programs. And then all of a sudden we miss Villanova because Tennessee outplays us. And then all of a sudden we get Arizona because we lose to Western Kentucky. Right. So it's something like, you, you know, so now we're, you know, we're down in the dumps. Like, man, now we don't play either one of these guys. We're not going to help our RPI. It's like, man, this stinks. And then all of a sudden they lose. So just trying to get our stuff corrected going into Arizona. Um, we made more shots. Um, we were a little more selective. We were better on defense. We were better on the glass. We did a much better job against Arizona rebounding the basketball, and we played a really good game against them. How surprised are you? And I, I think I know the answer here that Arizona has a loss since they lost to you guys. Not at all. You know, you, they, they went through a tough spell. We went through a tough spell. Like I said, it could make you better. And, uh, you know, I watched a little bit of their game when they, I think they won an overtime against UNLV. I, well, I watched, you know, part of that early, but I watched the other night a little bit of their Arizona State game. And, and obviously when you play, it's like, you know, when this happens, whether it's losing to Tennessee or winning versus Arizona, you know, you become their biggest fans. Um, you know, you want Tennessee to do well. You don't want that to, you know, be a blemish on your things. Well, this team didn't make the NCAA tournament. No, they're trending towards going to the NCAA tournament. They're a top 25 team. And so that helps you. And um, obviously with Arizona, 
you know, being able to beat Arizona State, who's in the top five in the country, that's a huge win. So that those are the type of things that, you know, you want to happen that are really out of your control. So you haven't played Michigan State yet, but you're obviously aware how well they're playing. Um, mm-hmm. You've been in this league a long time now, and, and Tom's had some good teams. What do you think it is about this group that, uh, you know, he's got a team that potentially and, you know, could win the national championship with you guys right there nipping at their heels? Well, I think um, I haven't seen them a lot. I just watched them versus Rutgers since we're playing Rutgers. They're, they're very deep. You know, they have a lot of deep guys. They bring some guys off the bench that are older. Um, I think sometimes when you get to that point, you obviously want to be starters at the time, and they're not. You know, they have a lot of really good sophomores on, on their team. You know, they have a, a really good freshman um, and Jaron Jackson who starts. And so, but they kind of, you know, they check all the boxes. They, they play hard. They play together. They have skill. They have length. They have athleticism. You know, and so when you look at them and people get excited about it, I think you get excited about this group because they do that. They check all the boxes. They got a great backup senior point guard. You know, they got a great backup center and Gavin Schilling who's just in. And those guys are older and they're sending. They got Ben Carter who might play five or six minutes, but, you know, he's a six-year senior. So, you know, they have they have some maturity coming off their bench. They have great talent in that sophomore class. They make it tough for you to score at the rim. They have a low-post guy in Nick Ward. Um, they have a national player of the year, obviously, candidate um, in Bridges. So, they, they, you know, I the thing that I think is the difference so far from just kind of looking at their box scores, to me, is the improvement um, of those two guards, the two sophomore guards. You know, their, their point is – is so much more improved than we had him in USA basketball. And um, he's always been a great passer and do it, but he's knocking down threes. He's hitting timely threes. He's doing some good things. The kid from Alabama, uh, my names are going off on me here. So uh, Colin Sexton. With, yeah, I'm not running a scouting report, so it's, it's not. <laughs> but, like, he's really good, man. He, he's, you know, he's oh, making pull-ups. I thought you meant on Alabama. I'm sorry. No, 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 no not on Alabama. Yeah. No, um, the kid from Alabama. The, the two guard. What's the two guard's name? Are you talking about Langford? Langford, Langford. He's yes. been great. I mean, every time I turn on the yeah, TV, Josh you know, he's, from Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, he's he's really made a jump from what I've watched so far. And so I think those are, those are the type of things that, that, that kind of makes you special. It's those little things. It's the improvement of Cassius Winston, Josh Langford. You know, you, you talk about Bridges, who's just a stud. You know, he made a couple step-back threes in that Rutgers game. It was just unbelievable. I mean, just, you know, you don't see that a lot of times in college from a 6'7", 235-pound guy. And um, and then they block shots and they, they defend and he's obviously a great coach. And so, you know, they, like I said earlier, they, they check all the boxes and uh, they have a special group. Well, how many boxes do you guys check? Well, I think for us, it's the experience, you know, our, our experienced guys is, I think that's where we get an advantage across the board. And a lot of the games we've played so far, we start four seniors, you know, Carson Edwards leads us in scoring, but he's played in the world university games with us this summer in Taiwan. He played with Cal, um, in Egypt. In the 19 and unders, he played an art an international trip the year before. He's played Carson's played a lot of basketball for us and very dynamic player to really score the ball. But you know, just Vince Edwards and Dakota Mathias and PJ Thompson and Isaac Haas have played a lot of basketball, and those guys have been great for us. Um, they've been really, really good. Matt Harms has given us um, just a shot in the arm, just a great defensive player, and um, he had five blocks of the night in 18 minutes and gets about three a game, a little bit over three a game in 18 minutes. So he's really helped us. Ryan Klein's like a starter for us. You know, he's he can make some key shots, really got us over the hump in our Northwestern game, the way um, the way he played. No gel Eastern gives us a long guard 
kind of playing out of combo. We've played him a lot at the point and backing up. And so he gives us that from a defensive standpoint and just a guy that can really pass the ball and it's going to be a really good player for us. So, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're excited about where we are, but we also know we got to, we got to keep, we got to keep improving. We got to keep plugging and, and we can't settle. What I loved about your group when I saw them in person against Louisville and what I've seen, obviously in watching you guys and covering the big 10 is that everyone looks like they're having a great time. You know, they don't look yeah. like they've got the weight of the world on them. And I right. don't know if that's from the trip to Taiwan, if, if you've cultivated it, if it's just who you've recruited, but it just seems like they're just having a great time, which is so, you know, refreshing to see in college best because that's what it should be. You should embrace right. it. You should have the best. Yeah, that's hard. Life. That's a good, that's a good observation because that's hard to do. Like, you know, guys want to do so well. And sometimes with that, you know, you, you, you get tense and you get tight and, I would, I would just, you know, kind of chalk that up to the experience of it. You know, everyone's had those moments for us. All those guys that you, you say look like they're having fun, they've had moments when it's not where they've gotten tight and things like that through the years. When you get older and you get to your senior year, and I always talk about making your hard work fun. You know, if, this, if you're looking at, at our practices or you're looking at, you know, what you're doing as biology class and you don't enjoy it, man, you've, God, you've picked the wrong locker room, you've picked the wrong sport, you know, this should be something that's fun. But understand, like, the, the more discipline you have, the more fun you have. And so, like, sometimes a young mind doesn't equate the discipline to the fun. And that's what it is, man. you got to be able to do the things you don't want to do, you know, so you can do the things you do want to do. One last thing before I let you go, Matt. Uh, you know, I'm a huge proponent of what Basketball Travelers, USA Basketball, you know, has done with the World University Games and confronting right. Craig Jonas and Nels Hawkinson. Mm-hmm. I think they do, uh, you know, Jen Ashby, they do yes. a phenomenal job with that and for those listening that's who runs basketball traveler travelers and they connected with the world university games what has that done for your program and what do you think it will do for others that want to follow suit because kansas did it you guys did it. i think northern iowa did it right. maybe first that want to get in on this in the future it's the best thing for a team you know i wish we had more opportunities like this and hopefully we can create more opportunities because there's a lot more games out there to be played from an international standpoint, not like an exhibition game or the international trips that people go on. Those are great for team bonding. Those are great for educational and sightseeing, but the competition's not great. And the timing of us going on those trips, you know, is is not the best. And so these trips, these are unbelievable. These are great. There's nothing that compares to the experience that we've had, you know, with the World University Games, just because it's quality competition, it's your team getting better, it's your team improving. So hopefully we can kind of open some things up and allow some of this because there's other games being played over there. There's, there's other smaller games and, and they're, they're willing to set things up and do different things and play against national teams. And, and that's what you want. And, you know, you want to play against high level teams that practice that are together that are, you know, and they have those bonds and those teams you're playing sometimes are together for a year or two, but sometimes they've been together. Their core have been together for four or five years. And, uh, you know, that, that's what you're wanting to do is just play the best competition, you know, in the world. Well, Matt, we appreciate it you coming on the podcast here. And uh, I know we'll be checking back into you throughout the course of the Big Ten. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Andy. When we come back, I'll be joined by Seton Hall's Kevin Willard. And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Seton Hall head coach Kevin Willard and the Pirates off to a great start overall, 13-2 and two as we're taping this. Um winning their first couple of Big East games in what, yet again, looks to be a brutally contested conference. Uh, no easy games. Home and home, 1-10. to 10. Villanova loses at Butler. 
Uh, Xavier looking great, but they still got to go to all these same spots. This could be a little bit more wide open, I think we originally projected. But listen, let's take a little bit of a 30,000 feet view of the conference first, Kevin. What's your overall assessment about the strength of the league right now? Yeah, and it's, I think it's as strong as it's ever been. Uh, just, I think mainly um, the coaches have all really got to know each other and how everybody plays. And we're, we're a senior-laden conference. You know, each team has uh, seniors and juniors that have been through the conference play, understand how coaches play, know each other on each team. And from top to bottom, from, from Xavier to DePaul right now, everyone's in a Kempom top 100. Everyone's RPI is in, in the top 150. So from no matter who, who you play, you're going to play against guys that have been in the league and obviously – really good coaches that understand how you play. You know, Mike Bray said this, and I think this is true. Well, really the majority of the programs, if you want to be successful, you got to get old and you got to stay old. How difficult is it to do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, there's a reason why Mike's won a lot of games. It, I think it's really important, you know, to, to get guys to come through your program, you know, to struggle a little bit as freshmen, to get better as sophomores and then really to excel and as juniors and seniors and, in the day and age where uh, you know a lot of kids transfer, it's not as easy to do that. But I think the more seniors you have, the more juniors that have been through some tough times, have been through some good times, the better your program gets. So let's peel back your group. You've got a veteran group uh, that has been able to sort of withstand. Uh, I mean, you guys have been successful, obviously, the last couple of seasons, but sort of that initial rebuild or restart or however you want to reboot, however you want to phrase it. When you go back and look at what guys like Desi Rodriguez, Angel Delgado, you know, obviously the, the two headline guys, Kadeen Carrington, what have they meant to this program? What have they gone through to get you to this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that, you know, all the Ishmael Sonogo, all, the, all four of those guys, Mike Nezzi's the fifth guy, he redshirted his freshman year. You know, really the five of those guys uh, all – all really struggled their freshman year, you know, and I think what's really kind of made them a resilient group is um, they all had, they, they all played a lot as freshmen, but they all had um, some good ups, but some really hard downs too. And I think, you know, going through some of the ups and downs as freshmen, Angel, Desi, Kadeen, and Ish and Mike, I think it all made them hungrier to kind of want to come out on top. And I think when you've had some, some ups and you had some downs. The biggest thing that I've learned from this group is that they, they really learn from the downtimes and they're, they enjoy the good times and they really work hard uh, to kind of sustain what they've built. So, so how'd you pull this off? Because I'm not going to say that, you know, Tommy Amaker had a little mini run at times. Bobby Gonzalez was there, you know, obviously this program went to the final four in 89 under PJ Carlissimo, but the reality is, yeah, the reality is PJ's, PJ's the guy. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but, but I mean, I'm saying that there were a lot of obstacles. I mean, I've, I've been to many Seton Hall games at different spots, you know, on campus. This predates you, but uh, on campus when they were at the Meadowlands and now you're at the Prudential Center in Newark and, you know, students had to buy in because it's not an easy commute to get to the home games. And you guys are making a big commitment to play in a, in a pro NBA NHL style arena. You know, so, so take me back a little. How, how do you think you were able to get this to this point where you could get over that hump, get the fans there, be a consistent winner, and not be playing in this sort of white elephant arena regardless of where it's been over the last 20 years? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a great point, Andy, is that probably one of the hardest parts of, 
of the job is, you know, obviously not having an on-campus arena. And I think the biggest difference was, you know, as a staff, we kind of realized uh, after being here for two or three years, you know, who who we had to be and, and who what type of players we had to get for our fan base. And we have we have a great fan base. Uh, our students have always been great getting the games down at the Rock. But I think, you know, the type of basketball we play and the way our kids play now, which is, a, you know, very physical, hard, kind of a little bit old school basketball where we, we re- rebound the basketball well, uh, we defend the basketball. Um, you know, I think our kind of getting our identity and, and sticking to that identity of being a tough, hard-nosed team is kind of what, you know, Northeast fans really appreciate. And, and once we kind of molded our identity, I think our fans kind of bought into the, the type of team that we were going to be. So for those that aren't familiar, I mean, what does the school do to make sure students get there in terms of buses and all that? I mean, how much of an effort is it to make sure people are in the seats? Yeah, it's a huge effort. I mean, it's, you know, we don't have a, a huge, you know, we're only about 8,000 students overall when you throw everything in, you know, to get, uh, you know, we're averaging almost almost 1,600 students per game, which is a ton. You know, our students make such a great commitment of getting on the bus at at 5:30, busing down. You know, we we have tons of buses to bring our students down, and then you know we also have to bus them back, and our students have to be committed. And I think that's something uh, why I love our why I love our student fan base is the fact that they're so committed to come to every game and to get there, and it really makes a big difference when when you have a great student section. The scheduling also. I mean, we're we're ending an era where the selection committee has made it clear that. Uh, the new vernacular, by the way, is going to be quadrants, quadrant one, two, three, four, which is putting added emphasis on road and neutral games. Um, you've, you've bought in. I don't know if that was out of necessity, if it was you knew you had to do it because it's not always easy to get games. But whether it's playing in neutral site tournaments or playing these one offs, you know, certainly in the area, whether it's Brooklyn or the Garden or wherever, you've made sure that you've done that. Uh, how hard was it to to make that a reality for this program to get quality games in the non-conference? Yeah, it, it, it's scheduling is it's becoming more and more difficult, especially when everyone's going to start going to twenty conference games. You know, your non-conference schedule. You know, I, I did it kind of understanding that you know I wanted to challenge this team this year, uh, but also understand that you know we we don't own our building, we don't have a building on campus, so dates are not. Uh, you know, you just can't call somebody up and say, hey, let's play on December 18th. Uh, we'll start a home and home. So we had to be creative. You know, I wanted to play, I think, playing in neutral site games and, and playing on the road is a good challenge for your team. But, you know, it, it was kind of both, hey, we're going to be a good team, so let's challenge, uh, let's challenge ourselves and play some neutral sites, some road games. But at the same time, when you don't own your arena, you don't have an on-campus arena, arena um, you have to be a little bit, a little bit more creative, just because you don't have the flexibility in dates. And I think you know as as good as anyone, you know, trying to say, okay, we're going to play uh, Louisville on this date. Well, you have to have the arena. They have to have that date. They have to be able to travel when it's not in finals. So the margin forever to try to get really good games with a 20-game schedule with not having dates is very difficult. You're back to the Big East, Kevin. I mean, you grew up around this league. Obviously, uh, growing up in the Northeast, and you know, your your father a coach, and so you know the history of this conference. And it was at a critical juncture, obviously, when they broke off, added three others, and became this new ten-team league. And from where I sit, you know, it, it's exceeded expectations. I mean, how much trepidation did you think 
you had or the administration <laughs> Seton Hall had about, okay, is this really going to work where we go essentially, you know, mainly basketball, we're keeping it small and we're going to make sure that, you know, we, we, we have everyone having a shared identity in terms of, you know, the purpose. And also we're going to expand further West. Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, I still remember that the first meeting we had as a conference uh, down at the Final Four in Atlanta, um, and you're looking around, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you have a much smaller group, and yet you, know, you threw Marquette in there. Um, I mean, you threw Creighton, you threw DePaul, and you threw Butler in there into this, with some of the older teams. And I remember looking around, and I've said this numerous times, I, I think Jay, Jay Wright was probably the, the one reason why this conference kind of, has excelled and it's not just because they won a championship it's he stood up in the room and he said you know hey guys i've been in this league when it was a small league i've been in this league when it's been a too big of a league and he goes now i feel like i'm right back to at the start of league and he goes you know we need to make this work you know we need to we need to root for each other we need to make sure that you know we're not on the recruiting trail killing each other um we have to become really one big family to make this thing work and everybody has to buy in and I remember all the coaches sitting around looking at him, really understanding that, you know, he was right. You know, we, we can't sit there and uh, I can't kill St. John's. Uh, you can't negative recruit against St. John's just because I'm Seton Hall. And we all kind of bought into saying, okay, let's make this work. Let's let's root for each other. Let's make sure that, you know, we're helping each other when we can help each other. And, um, you know, now, you know, when you see other coaches in this league, you, you know, we're really rooting for Everyone, we really want everyone to be successful. Uh, I think it's what's made the, the league really unique is that all the coaches are really rooting for each other. We all get along extremely well. And, you know, I look back at that meeting. I remember I, I say to Jay all the time, I said, I don't think if Jay stood up, I don't think we would have the same camaraderie that we have today. That's a great point. And, and because it, it was cutthroat in the Northeast, you know, in the 80s and the early 90s. And uh, the fact that everyone's sort of all in and and look, I mean, you guys don't have any villains. You know, you're all good guys and programs that uh, administrations that are, are all about the right thing. You know, your, your next game is against Butler, uh, a team that obviously rose exponentially uh, under Brad Stevens. And really before that, uh, with Barry Collier's leadership and getting to back to back national championship games. And then they just knock off Villanova again. Uh, they've done this before it at Hinkle. As you head toward this game. What is it about this Butler program that seems to be a common thread despite the coaching changes? Yeah, I, I, I think what we talked about earlier is that, you know, they've always had great seniors. Last year, uh, they had six great seniors um, led by, by Shravis. And, you know, I think they, the, they do a great job, the players, of passing along what the Butler tradition really is. And this year, you look at it. Yeah, Keelan Martin, who's one of the best players in college basketball, uh, and you have Tyler Weidman, who's you know probably one of the most under-talked-about big men in college basketball. Uh, but you have those two seniors who have really kind of led from what the last year's senior group led. And I think Butler does a tremendous job of uh, keeping it in the family. Obviously, Lavar played there; um, he knows what it's all about. And I think it's one of those special places that they've really figured out who they are how they have to play to win, and their players do a great job of buying in. You know, now that DePaul is a new on-campus arena, the hope is obviously that their atmosphere will be comparable to the other nine. I mean, that's another piece that I think gets overlooked sometimes. How would you assess sort of these home courts in terms of being true college basketball sort of environments 
when you get in the league, we're, you know, every night from January to March. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it, we're kind of a unique conference in the fact that we do, I think we have four or five teams that play in pro arenas. You know, Xavier's, I've always said Xavier's probably one of the nicest college basketball home courts there is. I mean, it's a perfect size. Uh, it's loud. It's beautiful. The Cintas Center is great. Creighton's like playing at Louisville. I mean, they get 18000 per game. Uh, they get there early. They're loud. Nova, uh, you know, usually plays, you know, most of their, most all their games on, on campus and I, I can't remember the last time they lost there. I think Butler was the only t- only one that's really beat them. You know, us Georgetown. Um, you, you know, we do battle a little bit, uh, getting people to the games at times, just because of I think the cities we're in, and as we talked about, trying to get get your students down to the games. But you know, Hinkle at Butler is as good as it gets. Providence has done a great job with their arena. It's a perfect size. So I think everyone has some really unique characteristics to where they play. Um, and I think everywhere we, you know, just about everywhere we play, you're playing in front of a sold out packed environment. And it's only gotten better over the last couple of years as the fans have really got into, you know, you know, our fans in the Northeast have really now liked to watch Creighton play, like to Marquette come to games where I think early in the, early in the league, people just didn't know, know them as well as the old league. So what's the ceiling for this group? You know what, as, as long as we, you know, I always say, as long as we keep the feet, our feet on the ground and we keep looking up at the stars, I think, you know, this group can go pretty far. Um, you know, they work hard. They have a very unselfish attitude. You know, our, our young freshmen, uh, they haven't got as much time in Biggie's play as I've liked, but they're really helping us. So I, I like our attitude. I like our work ethic. And as long as they keep, you know, keep grinding the way we usually, the way we do, you know, I like where we're at. All right, before I let you go, Kevin, there are two other teams that you played that I'm really high on. One you lost to, one you beat. And I just want to get your quick thoughts on these two. Rhode Island and Texas Tech. What'd you think? Oh, man, Texas Tech's like, it's like going to the dentist without Novocaine. <laughs> um, Chris doesn't own, you know, they run a lot of motion. They keep you busy on the weak side. And then, they, you know, they they really do a really good job two-man, two-man game and defensively they're physical they're strong they're athletic i really like the way they play um i i agree with you i think that they're probably so far uh, the best team we've played and just in fact that they have seniors uh, they have some good young guys and then rhode island you know it's the same way i mean i just think you know the way they play defensively you know they get after you the physical and they have two really good guards i mean terrell is tremendous he put up a huge night against us so um, you have senior leadership in the guard play with Rhode Island and then you they play a very physical tough defensive style which I think carries over in March so I agree I think they're two really good basketball teams well Kevin we appreciate it I love watching your group and uh, I know the game against Butler coming up on Saturday is certainly going to be very entertaining appreciate you coming on March Madness 365 thanks Andy thanks for having me and when we return Texas Tech's Chris Beard And now joining us here on March Madness 365, Texas Tech head coach Chris Beard. And Chris, you guys uh, won at Fog Allen. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. Uh, now that you've had some time to digest this, we're recording this the day after that occurred. H- how do you put that win in perspective? It was a big win for so many reasons. At the top of that list is just our respect for Kansas, their players, their history, and their Hall of Fame coach. Um, so... You know, coaches speak, would tell you it's just another game, but we all know it's different. Whenever you play 
against the best. It gives you an opportunity to compete. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not like it's a Texas Tech-Kansas rivalry because for a rivalry to happen, both sides have got to do their part, and we really haven't. Um, but I would love to be sitting here with you each year, you know, talking about us playing well in this game, and, and then we could get our, point, our, our program to the point where we're consistent. You know, they've obviously won 13 in a row. Uh, the league is as good as it's ever been. Maybe have the best player in the country. I think the best player in the country and Trey Young. You guys will end up dealing with him rather shortly. What is it about, though, that, you know, that has made it so difficult outside of them being so good for anyone else in this league to finally topple them? It's just been, it's an unbelievable run. Like I was talking to some guys this summer in July, coaches having a beer one night. It's like, to me, it's got to be the most dominant run in sports history. I mean, because you're talking about multiple coaches from Coach Williams to Coach Self, all the players come and go. Uh, but it's just been so consistent. And I think, you know, really it's 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 a real home court advantage. Um, I was fortunate enough to coach basketball in the state of Kansas. My first head coaching job at Fort Scott Community College. So I know the fan base there, they're not only great fans, but they're educated and they know basketball. Um, but I just think it's a special combination between Hall of Fame coaches, you know, NBA players, and then maybe the best home court in college basketball. So when you made the decision to go to UNLV, brief, and then to Texas Tech. What did you see in Lubbock that made you think something like what happened on Tuesday night was possible? Well, I saw a lot of things. You know, I was fortunate, you know, this to sit next to Pat and coach all those years. So I know the potential of this program, of this part of the state, of our university. There's been a lot of greatness here in the past with basketball, deep tradition with Coach Myers' teams and Polk Robinson and Coach Knight and James Dickey. Um, a great coach. And so um, but I've always thought with like coaching, it's about the fit. And I, you know, I, I felt bad about the timing of the UNLV. It's been overplayed and I have nothing but great things to say about Las Vegas, but just the timing of it was awful, but, but the decision was easy. This was a chance for me to coach in my home state at a university that I was familiar with uh, to be close to my daughters. Um, but really at the top of that list was to also coach in the big 12. I got into this years ago to try to compete with the best. And in my opinion, I know how good the other leagues are too, but in my opinion, there's a case for the Big 12 to be the best league in the country each year. Yeah, there really is literally no bad team, no easy game, no program that is sort of, you know, twisting or anything like that. It seems like they're all, you know, in some form or fashion in solid footing. I mean, now that you've had some time in the league, how do you assess the strength, one to ten. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's just uh, from a coaching standpoint, it's just brutal. I mean, each night you're going against a really good coach with great players. Every team has, at the minimum, some NBA prospects. Most teams have, you know, one and done lock pros. So, you know, last year uh, the case could be made that maybe our team uh, was was in the bottom of the Big Twelve, but we were good. Um, we were a good team last year. We 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 beat top twenty five teams. We we played good basketball. We had good players, but it's just uh, the league is so tough uh, that somebody has to finish in the bottom. And that was us last year. And, you know, we're just doing everything we possibly can to make sure that that's not us this year. But we understand how great the league is. And the Kansas win, although it was great, you know, we got to move on. It's like, you know, Peacock today, Feather Duster tomorrow. You just got to stay humble and keep working. You know, I've been tracking you guys, putting you guys in my Power 36 throughout the course of the season on NCAA.com. And, you know, I talked to Chris Collins after that game. I talked to Kevin Willard after they played you. 
and no one has anything but high praise, certainly the way you guys are defending. Um, which one of these games that you guys have had so far this season that really said to you, you know what, we got something here, a team that really could you know, make a run, get to the tournament, and really do something in the Big 12? For us, Andy, it started early, you know, uh, scrimmaging Mississippi State and playing a exhibition game against New Mexico State, who's really good. Uh, we had some, some good basketball in those games, really controlled both those scrimmages. And, um, and then the other thing, you know, I think you got to give Coach Tubby Smith a lot of credit for, for building the foundation here, and I'm, I'm benefiting from that work. Um, I've always been a guy that, that understands it's not about us. It's about the people that came before us. And our Little Rock team was a great story. Uh, but Steve Shields, the coach before us, did a great job there as well. So we're, we're benefiting from a lot of people's work, uh, not just ours. So if someone said, okay, they don't know much about Texas Tech. They just heard you guys knocked off Kansas. Uh, what would you say about your identity and who some of your players are you know, so that nationally they get introduced to the kind of talent that you've put together there. Yeah, thanks for asking that. I mean, five seniors, which is rare in college basketball. Uh, we start five of those seniors sometimes, guys that have really been through the wars and, and not guys that, like, didn't play until their junior or senior year. These are guys that have been playing in the Big 12 um, for five years now. And then we've got some good young players. You know, I think our recruiting class this year has a chance to be the foundation of some future teams that can really compete. Uh, with Culver and Z and Morrill. Um, and so we're just a combination. We've got a unique team, man. We've got like these older guys and these younger guys, you know, and everybody's come together um, so far. And then we got a great coaching staff. I and mean, I, you know, I, I don't say this with arrogance, but I say this with pride. I, I don't think anybody in college basketball has a staff that's any better. You know, I don't think that we're better than anybody else, but nobody's better than us. We've got veteran coaches with Mark Adams and Chris Ogden and Al Pinkins and some off-the-court guys that really know what they're doing, too. So, um, you know, we're proud of what we're building here. It's early. We really haven't done anything yet. This race doesn't even start till February, um, but we're just trying to stay alive. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point because you want to make these games that you're winning now matter uh, in March. And, you know, but if there's one or two names that you think people are going to remember if you're fortunate to get to the tournament, tournament. Um, who do you think that'll be? Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's like asking me who my favorite daughter is. You got to talk about all three yes. of them, but I, I respect and understand the question. You know, I, I mean, let's just talk about Keenan Evans and Zach Smith. These guys were honored in the preseason uh, Big 12. You know, if you get yourself on that list of players, then, you know, you're an NBA prospect, really. So Keenan's, uh, I think, one of the best guards in the country that nobody ever really talks about. But, I, but if you ask the other coaches in the Big 12, they'll tell you how good he is, Andy. And then Zach Smith is an incredible athlete that's worked really hard to become a skilled player. Um, and I think he's a guy that, that will play in the big lights one day. Your path to this, uh, how would you describe whether it's traditional or not, old school? or how, how would you go about saying, you know what, this is how I got to here? It's just been a journey, and I've been really fortunate uh, to, to coach good players that have brought opportunities for me personally and my assistants and my, my daughters. Um, you know, five or six years ago, I was coaching in the ABA, living in a Motel 6 in Myrtle Beach. A couple of years later, I'm in Division Two, coaching in big, big games with great players, but only nine people watching. Um, and now I'm fortunate enough to be here after an amazing year at Little Rock. So um, I just, uh, I'm humbled and just appreciative of my ride, but I give the players all the credit. You know, I'm not here today if it wasn't for Chris Jones and Demario Mayfield and Josh Hagens and Roger Woods and 
Jay Jackson and Andre Emmett. And I'm not here today if it wasn't for Pat Knight and Steve Shields and all the people that have helped me. And so now when we have success, I'm proud of it. It's something I've worked on as I've gotten older. I, you know, I mean, Andy, I, I, I wouldn't even do an interview like this years ago. I'd just be working still. But I, I see the value now to promote the program because I'm proud. I, you know, I, I, I do interviews like this for the players, not for myself. I'm proud to be a Texas Tech. It's crazy when you think about those ABA days. I mean, uh, if you could go back and, and talk to that Chris Beard, what would you say? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, enjoy these moments that you're coaching these pro players. You know, our ABA team was special. It was the year of the NBA lockout, and so we had really good players. You know, our center was from Kentucky. Our point guard was from Texas Tech. We had BCS, all-conference players. All of those guys are still playing pro basketball, and I enjoyed coaching them every day. But looking back, I wish I'd have, you know, I wish I would have coached them even harder because uh, those are some of the best basketball I've ever coached. I learned so much that year. Uh, from the players and from my assistant, George Total. So one last thing before we let you go, Chris. I mean, how have you changed now that you've become the head coach at a higher level in one of the, if not the best conference in the country? I'd like to think I really haven't changed. You know, I'm still the father of three daughters and a guy that loves basketball. You know, I guess, uh, you know, I used to go to go to the restaurant and tip 15%, but now I tip 25 uh I used to drive a, a, a beat-up truck. Now I drive a great car from Alderson. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I still got about four ties, two suits, three daughters. Uh don't have a dog right now. I really want one. do have a beautiful girlfriend right now. That, that's helped. Uh, but I think I'm the same guy, Andy. I really do. You know, you keep mentioning your three daughters. How old are they? Avery is 17 years old. She's going to Ivy League Columbia next year. Uh, got to win some awesome. more games to pay for that. Elle is 15. She's a freshman in high school. She's a good basketball player. She has, like, Martin Zeno toughness. Um, and Margo's the baby. She's 10. She has, like, an Al McGuire spirit. She she lives every day to the fullest. And and, and how long were you apart from them? Uh, it's tough. Uh, I'm divorced, um, but their mom, who does a great job with them, they live in Abilene, Texas, which is about two hours from Lubbock. Uh, so the Myrtle Beach years were t- year was tough, and Little Rock was tough. Uh, but being back this close, and then when Avery got her driver's license, that's really helped it helped as well. So uh, they're big time parts of our team. I I love our players so much, but our players, the way they treat my daughters, is special too. Yeah, I think sometimes people forget what happens behind the scenes, the struggles and the pressures of real life, uh, and obviously the stress that I'm sure you were under over the, all these years. That when you have success, uh, it doesn't make that the, the time when you weren't with them you know, any less hard, but certainly it shows that uh, there was a, you know, there's sort of a greater purpose that hopefully everyone can appreciate now that essentially that you're close. I don't know if you can, if you can think about it in those terms, but I'm sure that struggle was real and the stress was, I'm sure, many, many nights of dealing with that. Yeah, basketball is a great game. It's given me a great life. It'll give my daughters a life that even I didn't have growing up, but it also is tough. Uh, you know, it's time away from family. It's stressful situations, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, like last night, getting on that bus, you know, your cell phone's blowing up. But just a couple of years ago when I was at Angelo State and we won a big road game at, at uh, Midwestern, it was the same kind of feeling and same kind of high. You know, you only had seven or eight text messages instead of 700. But, you know, I always try to get back to those people first that uh, were, were with me during those other years too. Uh but basketball is a great game. You know this, Andy. It's giving you a, a great life, too. It's uh, 
it's something that uh, it's just a special game. It's helped so many of us. Well, Chris, we appreciate it. I'm thrilled for your success, and I know we'll be tracking you throughout the course of the season. Thanks for everything you do for basketball and coaches. Thanks for listening to March Madness 365, and let us know what you think on iTunes. Hopefully, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.